Welcome to the SCD-Specific Carbohydrate Diet Podcast. If something has been eating at you or eating at your gut, then I have good news for you. The Specific Carbohydrate Diet, also known as the SCD, has helped countless people with a wide variety of health issues improve their quality of life. It's also a great way to eat if you just want to go grain-free or stay away from processed foods. Here, you'll find interviews with SCD experts as well as everyday people who actively follow the program, and you'll get tips to help you enjoy living the SCD, including resources, recipes, and more. I'm your host, Lee Bernstein. I live with gut issues. I live with autoimmune issues. And after trying many nutrition protocols, I found that the SCD is what works for me. If that's the same for you, or if you're looking to find out if it is, then let's enjoy living SCD together. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. Nothing on this show is ever medical advice. I'm just someone who's thankful that the specific carbohydrate diet works. I'm thankful that it's given me my life back, and I'm especially thankful and excited about being here with you today. So if you're ready, let's begin. Welcome to Episode 4 of the SCD Specific Carbohydrate Diet Podcast. Today we're welcoming back Dr. Christine Bowen. She's going to be answering questions that came in from listeners. You might have already heard Dr. Bowen on Episode 2 of this podcast. If not, make sure you listen to it. It was wonderful. And this follow-up is equally as wonderful. I know you're going to enjoy it. A reminder that... Dr. Bowen is going to be at the SCD Rocks Conference this year. It's on October 7th. It's a virtual conference. It's free for anyone who would like to attend. And there will be links to that in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. So let's get started in talking to Dr. Christine Bowen of Bothell Natural Health. Welcome back, Dr. Bowen. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous. Thank you so much for having me back, Lee. Thank you for coming back. Everyone's really excited to hear everything you have to say on the part one of this. We invited you back. There was just so much that was so rich. We invited you back to answer questions, and we have since received quite a few of them. And we're going to jump right to it. We're going to get started. Uh, The questions are very diverse, and I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready? Yeah, let's go ahead and get going with our Ask a Poop Doctor section. (laughs) You know, I'm glad you said that because you do refer to yourself as the poop doctor quite often, don't you? I do, though I'm not a traditional gastroenterologist. I talk to people about their bowel movements all day long every day. And so I really enjoy being a poop doctor and helping people with their bowels. So welcome to Ask the Poop Doctor. And here we go. (laughs) All right. First question is, you mentioned that you lost weight after putting yourself on SCD. I need to gain weight. Do I risk losing weight if I follow this diet? That's a great question. And so if somebody is very underweight when they start on this plan, um, things like losing a little bit of weight during intro is actually something that, that could be anticipated. But really, the diet as a whole is not a weight loss plan. For me, I consider it more of a return to health plan. So if somebody is very malnourished or underweight, then they may gain weight on the plan. If somebody like me, at the time I, I embarked on SCD, I really had quite a bit of weight 
weight to lose. And so it really helped me to shed that weight. Um, for other people, they might need to supplement uh, calories or really keep an eye on keeping their calories up and their diet diverse to make sure that they don't lose weight. But it really is very individual. So, I mean, there have been very underweight people who, um, even like children who have not grown uh, very enthusiastically and, you know, two weeks into the into the diet, they come back and I swear they've grown a foot and they're gaining weight and they're thriving. So it's really about return to health, whatever that looks like is very individual. Good to know. What do you find as your biggest challenges with the novel COVID-19 pandemic and the new telemedicine? I miss human contact. Um, I am historically a hugger, and so you might see in some of my online profiles where my patients say that my hug is part of my medicine. And of course, you know, I ask permission before hugging. Um, a lot of people are not huggers, and that's fine. Um, but I do miss that human contact, and you know, knocking elbows with friends and family is not very satisfying. And then. For seeing patients, it's not the exact same connection over video as it is in person, um, but we just do the best we can. The one big challenge is skin conditions, like examining skin conditions. I have, you know, people bring their chin right up to the, the video camera so that I can see it a little bit more closely, but it's not quite the same. So I have a lot of people taking pictures of their skin conditions up close at home in better lighting so that they can send it to me. But um, yeah, that's a challenge. But um, really keeping everyone safe and staying safe myself is top priority. So we're just adjusting to the times. So it sounds as though if someone is meeting with you virtually, they're still getting a very thorough examination. As much as we possibly can. And then a lot of my physical exam is done through imaging or blood work or things like that. I'm, I'm less likely to poke somebody in their gut if they're having an active inflammatory bowel disease flare. You know, that hurts. So I can ask them about their level of pain. I can ask them about their locations. And then we can do imaging tests if we need to. But um, yeah, I don't feel like we're missing too much there. Do you, when you order blood work or imaging, uh, obviously imaging, you have to go to a clinic or a hospital to get that taken care of. I know in my area, I'm just outside Chicago, at least for now, I'm moving to, yay, New Mexico, I'm so excited. But in my area, some, like University of Chicago, they will now send someone to your home to do your blood work in your home. Mm. Is that available in your area too? Somewhat. I wouldn't say that, that some of the larger centers have actually started that. Instead, when you go to an imaging center, they're typically standalone imaging centers, and it's not like uh, in an imaging center within a hospital. Um, okay. And then they're taking precautions, and so they have people make appointments, people stay in their car until they're their number is called or their appointment comes up. So it's really, um, you know, lots of cleaning in between patients. And I'm always encouraging patients to wear masks, maybe even gloves if they have them when they're out and about. Um, so yeah, we're just taking precautions, but so far it's been all right. I had someone say to me the other day that going into, like you said, an imaging center might be one of the safer places you can go. They're taking major precautions. And then we do have a mobile phlebotomist who we contract with a little bit here and there. And so people do have the ability to get some blood draws in their home if that's something that they prefer. Interesting. And the next question, and uh, I 
I really wish I could read everyone's name and say, why, thank you, so-and-so, for writing in. But I promised in the show before this that everything was going to be completely confidential. So that's why you're not hearing people's names mentioned. I'm sure those of you who are listening know who you are. Mm -hmm. And thank you for the questions. In the X amount of time that a person spends with you during an appointment, what can the patient do to best prepare themselves for the appointment? And then they follow with, do you like when the patients come in with a list of questions? Yeah, so every doctor is completely different, including the time that you spend with your physician. So for me, it's an average of 45 to 90 minutes that the patients spend with me. I do like them to bring a list of concerns so that they don't leave going, oh, I only brought up two of the 12 things that are going on for me. Um, and they didn't really feel like they were did a thorough intake, you know. So I really, I do like that list of questions. Um, one thing that you can do in advance of visits with your doctors too is to pay attention to what's happening with symptom patterns. And so if you notice that your symptoms are worse in the morning or in the evening or after these foods or after stress or, you know, what makes them better, what makes them worse, that's one of the things that you can jot down ahead of time. Uh, which foods agree with you? Uh, which don't. And then also, um, you know, go in with an open mind when you're talking to your physician because they have a different experience and they might really want to share with you. And then I also ask people to do an equal amount of listening as uh, sharing. And I know oftentimes people have not had a doctor listen to them at all for, you know, 15 years prior to coming into my office. And so their hour and a half might be them just telling me their story, but then I don't really have a lot of time to weigh in or to give ideas or next steps. And so it's important to make sure that you're doing the, you know, good conversation that we're supposed to have, which is an equal amount of listening and an equal amount of sharing. And then that way, each party really comes comes to the table having equal conversation. But yeah, I definitely don't mind a list of, uh, a list of concerns or a list of questions because this is your time and you've hired me. And these are the things that you want to have achieved by the end of the session. So I definitely want you to go away feeling like you were heard and your issues were addressed and that you're satisfied with the care. I have a follow-up question just from me personally. Mm -hmm. So uh, how important do you think it is for someone, if they're comfortable with it, to bring someone else in to the examination room and why? Yeah, so if you're very sick and you are so fatigued and short of breath, very anemic, brain fog, whatever it is that you're experiencing that makes you feel like it's hard to take in all of that information, then it is nice to have an extra set of ears. Sometimes there's somebody who's advocating for you um, because you might not be somebody who's able to advocate for yourself. So whether that's you know feeling intimidated or maybe you even feel a little bullied by, by your healthcare team, um, that it is important for you to have advocacy, whether it's coming from you or if it's coming from somebody else. And so with uh, couples, oftentimes our spouses all see that one one person normally has a very different report of what's going on versus the other one. And so it's important to make sure that you don't let the advocate dominate the conversation and that you have to keep on deferring back to the patient to make sure that the conversation is not hijacked by the advocate. So it can be tricky to manage multiple people in a session, but it's good to even just have somebody whose eyes and ears and taking notes. 
or reminding you of those three things that you really wanted to talk about. Yes, good. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next question is, for some people who follow SCD, they've decided to make nutrition and health their career goals too. Do you have any advice? I do. I would say one of the things that you should do in the beginning when you're considering different types of uh, professional careers is maybe to interview people from each of those fields and see, you know, what's working for them in their career, what's not working for them, what do they wish they had done differently? Um, you know, what are the limitations of, of that chosen career? And then above and beyond that, I would say do get some sort of a certificate or degree um, so that you then have at least that foundational knowledge, something in healthcare that tells you what red flag warning signs are versus, you know, when it's all clear to keep on doing what you're doing. Um, maybe even if you're more of a health coach, uh, to be able to connect to a physician in the area who you can send your cases to if you think that things have gone off the rails, just being a little bit more uh, responsible to the patients and making sure that, you know, that you don't accept people who um, don't have somebody else that they can lean on. We don't want health, health coaches managing medical emergencies. And so that's important. So I definitely think things like getting a degree and then above and beyond that, once you find your chosen path, um, show up. You know, do great work with your patients and then show up at networking events, show up, um, you know, on the in the online uh, space. Just keep on showing up. If people don't know you're there, then they can't really come to see you. So just being visible and um, doing great work are the things that have worked for me and making a name for myself. Very good. Next. I have heard MDs that work with SCD say that it is more effective for Crohn's than ulcerative colitis. Elaine, and this person, just to interject, is referring to Elaine Gottschall, who wrote Breaking the Vicious Cycle. Elaine said this as well. Have you observed this? This one is a long one. Mm -hmm. Of the different types of Crohn's that are out there, do you find that SCD is more effective on any of them? Dr. Katkotker said on his podcast, Against the Grain, that he thinks it is most effective with Crohn's colitis. I am interested in what you've seen from experience. Yes, um, I definitely have heard this before. Even at Seattle Children's, there were certain types of approaches that they said, you know, this is for Crohn's disease, not necessarily for UC. Um, some of the, you know, like their their studies even said, you know, this is for pediatric Crohn's disease. Well, for me, from the beginning, I never differentiated between the types of IBD as to how I would start the initial treatment. So I definitely see people responding just as well with UC as with Crohn's disease. And so I'm not necessarily sure what's happening in these other centers or what they're seeing that is making them say that. But then I think back to Elaine's daughter, who was diagnosed with UC. We know the story. Was Dr. Haas, uh, was he differentiating between uh, Crohn's or, or UC or celiac disease? Or was he treating them all equally with this, this uh, basic foundation of diet? 
So I don't necessarily change uh, my approach or say, oh, well, you have UC, we're not going to use specific carbohydrate diet. Um, if I make modifications to SCD, it's more because of individual needs. It's not necessarily because somebody has UC versus Crohn's. So I just don't really see this in practice. And so I'm always surprised when I see it come up time and again. And so I just, I, I assume that they're seeing something different in their studies uh, and their experience than I've seen in my clinical practice. That's good to know. So you're seeing, you're seeing success equally across the board if people are willing to follow the good advice that you give them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Very good. And even on this show, so far, everyone that I've had up until this point has had Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. So just by not talking about colitis, it might make people wonder if colitis is... But really, if your gut is an issue... With me, I don't have Crohn's or colitis. I have a bunch of other stuff. Mm -hmm. But if your gut's an issue, then SCD can definitely be something that can help. Well, and I think about the microbiome, the vast majority of the microbiome in the intestine is in the large intestine. And so why wouldn't, uh, you know, a diet that helps with dysbiosis help with large intestine disease. It just, it, it doesn't seem like it would be far-fetched at all. So I'm very interested in hearing where those, you know, where that, that recommendation of like more Crohn's and colitis is coming from, because I just don't see it in practice. I see it being equally responsive. Excellent. Excellent. What type of food do you personally consume in a day or over time? Wow. It's changed. <laughs> it's changed throughout the years. And so Right now, it's closer to a specific carbohydrate diet and AIP or autoimmune protocol uh, hybrid. Um, in the beginning, I was strictly SCD for about three years minimum and then kind of SCD-ish for another couple of years where I would have a little bit of soy here, there, some stevia, cocoa, maybe a little bit of store-bought yogurt if it was fermented for 24 hours. So a few of the cultures outside of the strict recommendations, maybe some agave, and now I've gotten to the point where um, after I had SIBO treated uh, last year, then I was able to suddenly eat some of the beans. I was able to eat some of the starches, things like cassava or tapioca or things that are on more of a paleo plan or sweet potato that I really could not tolerate prior. So I think that as our microbiome shifts, that we are able to bring some foods back in. And then I always have the goal for my patients of having the the largest or the, the most permissive diet. And so I also have that goal for myself. Beans and lettuce are still not 100%. They're a bit harder, but I can sneak by some gluten-free products here and there. That's really good to know. And there's another question coming up that I'm going to jump to and then maybe mm -hmm. come back that talks a little bit about the same thing. But before we go further, I have a follow-up question again. Yeah. So it, a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I had this, I ate it, it didn't bother me. I do just fine with it. I do just fine with that. You're a doctor. You know how to test. Mm. So it's not that you're just eating it and you're not feeling symptoms afterwards. I'm assuming that you have looked at yourself and your body to make sure that, in fact, your body is still responding favorably mm -hmm. to the changes that you've decided to make. Is, 
Is that the case? Yeah. So there are some other symptoms that tell me that things are not okay. So my asthma might get kicked off by something or my joints might hurt. Um, so in addition to the digestive symptoms going south, then it definitely, you know, I, I get that tip off. But then I do things like periodic food food allergy testing to see how my, 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 my microbiome has changed, which changes, which then changes our immune system function, right? So our food allergies or food sensitivities can change over time. I do things like periodic stool testing to see what the state of my microbiome is like, whether or not I have overgrowth of certain types of organisms, whether I have a leaky gut. So I'm definitely still testing. So testing using tests as well as testing using experimentation. But typically it's best to only try one new thing at a time so you can really isolate those variables. I don't like using, you know, trying five things at once. So I had this cupcake. It's like, what in it bothered my gut? Well, there are so many new things in there. How can you isolate it? So just trying a little bit of sweet potato in one day and knowing that that's the only new thing that you tried and then wait a few days before you try anything new. It's great to hear that you've been able to introduce other foods. And so I'm going to jump to this next question. And actually, there are two questions here. I'm going to read them both. The first one is, a question I have is that Elaine mentions in her book that the diet isn't a lifelong diet. Mrs. Weiss, and this person is referring to Rochelle Weiss, who owns Welby's Foods. They uh, supply people with SED legal foods. She's also the author of A Taste of Wellness. It's a cookbook. Um, Mrs. Weiss also believes it to be a two-year journey, and then hopefully one can add more and more foods. I am getting discouraged hearing about people strictly on the diet for many, many years. What's the doctor's take? Does she see people who have complete healing with the diet and can return to almost normal eating? Again, thank you so much. And then there's someone else who asked this. I am curious if you come across kids who reached Crohn's remission with this diet after moderate to severe Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. So and I will just yeah. I will just paraphrase that. Yeah. Going back to our earlier conversation, I'll paraphrase that to say moderate to severe IBD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when we look at how long somebody needs to be on SCD and strictly SCD, it's so individual. So very individual. And so where did they start? Have they had surgeries? What are the complications of the disease? What um, What's their individual baseline like before they embark on this journey? And then depending on how they do. So it's just so individual. You can't say it's a one size fits all. You can say that there's a basic template that we use for most people, but then it's not really one size fits all. We have to do this individualized approach. And so will there be people who are on SCD plus sweet potato and rice. Yes. You know, will there be people who are on lifelong SCD? So is that a problem? Other than being an inconvenience for those people, is it a problem for somebody to be on SCD long term? Not necessarily. So can we still get complete nutrition with SCD? Yes, as long as you're really paying attention to getting adequate nutrition and, and having the widest variety of food possible. So again, the goal is always to expand my patient's diets as much as possible 
possible. Some people just feel better on SCD. And so they just stay there. Like I've had patients who I put on SCD and then I don't hear from them for three years. All I can assume is that they're doing all right. And then one day they pop up and they say, well, I was on SCD for three years and then I went off of SCD and I got sick again. So if I had just stayed on SCD, I wouldn't be back here in your office. So I don't feel like people are punished by being on SCD long term. And I don't think it's unsafe. That being said, our goal is always as much expansion of the diet as possible. Um, definitely when, when you look at uh, mild to moderate or moderate to severe IBD and remission on SED, I definitely have seen many, many cases of re full remission um, on SED, whether or not it's SED solo or if it's SED plus medications. I don't really differentiate as long as the patient is doing very well. You know, it's like, is SED a great tool to be added in, you know, in addition to medications? Is it, it's safe, you know, it's not contraindicated with people who are on medications, but then are there people who have failed medications and have gone to SCD and still reach full remission? Definitely. And then are there people who are choosing SCD as a first line intervention and they have great outcome? Yes. So all, yeah, I definitely feel like I see those cases of remission very often. And that's with children as well as adults. Yeah. And this is interesting because for children is, is the one that in the literature is more proven than adults. And I actually had a friendly conversation with a gastroenterologist who said, yeah, but uh, for <laughs> it's only proven for children. It's not proven for adults. And I was like, tell me how the adult physiology is that much different than children. You know, they're just they're so similar and that I feel like it's not a great leap of the imagination to say that something that works for children could also work for adults. And so there are some differences in the physiology, but I was, I was really mystified by that, that it was like, no, it's only for children, you know, but then there are other people who say, oh no, but it only works for adults. So I feel like <laughs> it can work for anybody regardless of the age. And, you know, there's so many variables. When, if an adult is on it, you don't know if that person is really being 100% compliant all the time. And they might not know. They might think that they're being 100% compliant, but maybe they're not. Uh, I'm going to very selfishly interject something here, if you don't mind. Go for it. I, I am severely gluten intolerant. And as I said at SCD... Uh, rocks in 2018, I consider that my superpower mm. because I know immediately when I've ingested something that has gluten in it, even if it's a small, small amount, my body lets me know and it lets me know very quickly. Whereas a lot of people that should not be eating gluten and even some people with celiac disease who are non-reactive, mm-hmm, they can be doing the wrong thing and they don't know. And they can go for days, months, weeks, years, damaging their upper villi and not realizing it because they're not getting those types of reactions. And I often wonder, and if anyone out there listening has any input on this, please write to me. I often wonder how many people who are following SCD might be more gluten intolerant than they realize and might be ingesting foods with more gluten than they realize and might be having 
not the best success with SCD because of that, but they're completely unaware of it. Just as an example, I do best if I am eating gluten-free foods if they are certified gluten-free. Mm-hmm. So if I were to get to the point, for example, to where I wanted to try rice, mm-hmm. it has to say on that rice that it's certified gluten-free or I risk having a reaction. Same thing with beans. I order my beans from a company that has certified gluten-free legumes. Mm-hmm. When you go to the grocery store and you buy them, they could very easily be manufactured in a plant that also manufactures wheat. Yeah, it's rampant. Cross-contamination is rampant. Rampant, but, you know, I've been very blessed and lucky in being diagnosed with my gluten intolerance. Some people are just tested for celiac, and they're told, you don't have celiac, you can eat all the gluten you want. The doctors don't look any further, or maybe they've never even looked into how gluten intolerant they might be, but their doctor has put them on a special diet just to see if it can help. So there are so many things that we all need to be looking at Mm -hmm. that we might not be looking at. I I wonder if everything were in a pure, pristine, perfect world and everybody was consuming SCD perfectly every single day, if the remission, you know, wouldn't go up even more. I I would guess it probably would. Well, this is the thing. So... It's so, so important. I cannot stress it enough that people need to be tested for celiac disease before they alter their diet. So if you have not yet embarked on SCD, you need to be tested for celiac disease. And so not everybody will very clearly test positive for celiac disease when they do one test. I suggest a minimum of five tests be done. I think I do more like six tests now. So tissue transglutaminase IgA is just the gold standard that most of the doctors do. But I also do tissue transglutaminase IgG and then anti-gliadin or deaminated gliadin IgA and IgG, and then also total IgA and IgG, because you have to make sure that your body is making those immune system markers to trust those prior four markers. And so that's bare minimum. But then if you still suspect celiac, or if somebody has been off of gluten, then you want to go ahead and do the HLA, DQ2, and DQ8 uh, genetic tests. But then even above and beyond that, there are something like 33 different proteins that could be involved in celiac type reactions. So there are some companies out there that do test for more and more things, but I feel like deeper testing, at least making sure you have that baseline testing before you launch into diet change is the best. But if you've changed your diet already, at least get some of those genetic tests. And then let's say somebody does have severe gluten intolerance or celiac disease, they're on SCD and for the most part, they're better. But what if they don't know that they have severe celiac or gluten intolerance? Thank you. Yeah. So if their home is not 100% gluten-free, if they're not eating certified gluten-free, could they still be getting enough cross-contamination that keeps them sick? Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I personally believe it's huge. And it's an area that needs to be looked into very, very seriously, both by doctors as well as the general SCD community. Now, I'm going to go back to, to, you said it's important to be tested for celiac disease or gluten intolerance. Before you start SCD, I'm going to rephrase it to say before you take yourself off of gluten completely. Yes, yes. Is, can you explain why? Yeah, so basically if your immune system is not seeing those gluten proteins, uh, uh, 
any of the gluten proteins up to the like the the 30 33 whatever proteins that are there that you could be reacting to if your if your immune system is not actively seeing those and mounting a response against them then the test that we're doing to try to detect those might come up completely negative right so your immune system might have to be actively shown those and so sometimes if they if, you know if your physician hears well you've been off of gluten for uh, 6 months let's go ahead and have you eat gluten 3 times a day for a month before we retest you. And a lot of people feel like that would make them way too ill to want to do that. And so then I would just push for things like the genetic testing. But ideally, somebody has not eliminated gluten from their diet when they're getting tested for these celiac markers. That happened to me. Mm -hmm. I took my, this was about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more, maybe it's, whatever, it's a long time ago. I took myself off of gluten, started feeling better than I had felt in the longest time. And this is long before I did SCD. Mm. Really felt great. And then still was not where I needed to be. I needed to be looked at even more. And I had to do what they call the gluten challenge. And I had to go on that six-week, eight-week, whatever it was, Mm. of forcing myself to eat gluten every day. It didn't have to be a lot, but it didn't matter if it was only a small amount. As sick as I was before I was, it it just threw my body into complete turmoil. And so I can't thank you enough for telling people about that. This is why it's so important that people are speaking to professionals and not just as wonderful as breaking the vicious cycle is, not just reading it and saying, oh, well, I'm going to give that a try. There's mm-hmm. so many things that need to be looked at. And like you said, everyone is so uniquely individual mm-hmm. that only only a qualified professional really can determine exactly which way a person might need to go. So let, thank you for letting me step on my soapbox. Oh, no, Dr. that's Bowen. great. I have <laughs> colleagues, I have colleagues who will absolutely restate until they are blue in the face the importance of testing for celiac disease. So this is just a chance to further that information and just help people to know that gluten-free may not be a fad, but it can, you know, it can help people feel much better. But it's about how you approach the art of going gluten-free and then making sure that you have the testing ahead of time to understand, is cross-contamination going to be an issue for you? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next question. What's the biggest misconception you have to address when recommending the specific carbohydrate diet to patients? Yes. So I would say oftentimes, so I think I I mentioned in the first session that, you know, when we were talking as colleagues in a digestive health conference that my colleagues said, oh, SED, yeah, it's there, but it's too difficult. Well, that's also how a lot of patients will approach it, that they just look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, I can't live without bread. What are you trying to do? You know, you're trying to kill me, take away everything that I love. And it's like, no, I'm trying to help you get better. So one, I try to tell them that though it's change and change is hard and all change is basically a an act of loss, right? So all change is an act of loss and you can go through the phases of grief and loss with change. And so it can be difficult, but at the same time, you should be able to tell them it's worth it. The other thing that I do is 
tell them um, that we're just going to do a two-week trial and then we're going to check in and we'll decide next steps. So giving them just two weeks. And so at the end of two weeks, oftentimes they're self-prescribing SED if they feel 100% better. They want to continue it at that time. They don't need my persuasion because it really, it worked and it spoke for itself. The strength of it spoke for itself. A lot of people think that if you're eating SCD that you might not have adequate nutrition. Um, that could be the case if people are not careful about making sure that they're eating a wide variety of nutrients. But typically SCD is complete nutrition and it's not something, this is more that you know I might have to battle with uh, colleagues or nutritionists or things like that in trying to convince them that even though we're eliminating grains or some of these other major food groups, that people still can be healthy and thrive um, on this diet. So those are some of the misconceptions that it's going to be very difficult, um, that it's not going to be adequate nutrition. And then the other thing that people might worry about is that they can't do SED on a budget, or they can't do it if they have limited time, or they can't do it if they have a lack of cooking skills. And really, all of those things are, are hurdles that we've been able to overcome. There are ways to do SED on a budget. You can do SED even if you have limited time in your schedule to be able to implement it. And then also, I was definitely not a cook when I started SCD. And now I'm definitely uh, more of a baker and more of a kitchen experimenter. But it just, you know, you have to you have to know that it's worth it, too. So once you have that buy in of feeling better, anything is possible. And that two weeks, anyone can do anything for two weeks, right? That is the secret. And I feel like there's, there's very rarely a patient that says, nope, I can't do it for two weeks. Oftentimes it will be like, can I wait to do it until after my birthday or after this vacation <laughs> or something like that? And it's like, well, you've been sick for 14 years. So I guess one more week is not going to make a huge difference. Um, the sooner the better for trying it. But um, typically the two weeks will convince them this is the direction that they need to go, they need to go in. Or if for some strange reason they get worse, or if for some strange reason they don't respond at all, then we look at other avenues to pursue. You mentioned vacation, so I have another follow-up. What do you tell people who travel a lot on business? Yeah, so the best is to get a kitchenette. Right, a, pla a, a place with a kitchenette or a small space where you can prepare your own food in. Um, there are plenty of SED legal snacks, uh, cooking things for yourself, uh, taking your own yogurt. You can get, um, you can get, uh, you can get a letter or a, a prescription. I'll just write it on my prescription pad uh, for my patients who are traveling and say, you know, please allow this patient to pack a cooler that they're able to carry on the plane that has, uh, you know, refrigeration source and then these types of liquids, you know. So it's something where you can definitely get permission from your physician to travel with your pre-made food if you're, especially if you're celiac or gluten sensitive, you, you don't know with a kitchenette if there's been gluten in there. So that can be hard to avoid cross-contamination. So packing some of your own food and then also locating the safe spaces in the destination for where you're going. So there's like for you, Lee, um, there's an app called Find Me Gluten Free. Oh, I, I love know. that. Yeah, I love that one. I have to write that down. I have to link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so Find Me Gluten Free or Find Me GF uh, has recommendations for people who might be gluten uh, sensitive, but then it also has recommendations for people with celiac disease. So then you'll 
you know, hit that when you uh, turn it on when you get into your location. Like we traveled to Hawaii last year and it was like, I didn't think that, you know, Hawaii was going to be super gluten-free, but I found all of the gluten-free places in and around. I found the supermarkets that I could go to. And it's like, you know, if you're going to a place that has a Whole Foods, that's probably going to be a place that is a little bit safer or some of the co-ops or natural food stores. Um, but sometimes people end up taking a separate suitcase with all of their safe food. So. so you're in Hawaii and you're or you're you're using your Find Me Gluten Free app and you're going into the restaurants mm -hmm. that have gluten free foods and then after that you make sure that you're talking to a chef or a manager to make sure that they're preparing the foods, not just gluten-free, but the way that you need to eat them. Yes. And so I'm, I'm not afraid of asking for modifications. And it's something where on vacation, I might loosen it up a little bit more. I might have a little bit of corn here or there. I might have a little bit more soy. But then if we're in an Asian restaurant, I'm asking if they have tamari or I'm leaving the soy sauce out. Things that we can leave out of, uh, we can leave out of the sauces. Oftentimes the sauces are going to be a major problem. So if you're like, okay, do you, can you just have this grilled as a skewer? And then what do you apply to this? But and um, also, if you don't want to be conspicuous in that moment, asking 15 questions of the chef or the people who are preparing the foods, you can always call the restaurants ahead of time. It might be harder in countries where they're not speaking English. It might be harder to call ahead of time and make the plans. Another thing that I do is I stock their menu online and uh, make plans for what it is that I might be able to eat. And so, you know, my, my husband needs to avoid carbohydrates and sugar. So our diets overlap a lot. But I'm always thinking about both of us, you know, how, how do we eat at this place safely without either one of us suffering consequences. And so it's just part of my normal routine now, whether I'm at home or whether I'm traveling, I'm always thinking about these things. Excellent. I love this one. This is a poop doctor question. Are you Yay, ready? I am. I am. <laughs> okay. I get a lot of mucus on toilet paper when I wipe. I don't get blood except rarely if I have been eating a lot of junk, but I don't eat junk anymore, and I have it for a very long time, maybe a year. Is mucus in poop something to worry about if I don't have blood? What causes it? What gets rid of it? Can I be okay and still have mucus? Mm. I really like to see no mucus. Um, mucus to me still tells me that there's something irritating or inflaming things, or even if it's a food sensitivity or if it's a pathogen that is, or like a bad bug that is creating some of the issues. When I think of mucus in the stool, I also think of snot, like uh, mucus in our sinuses. So when do we produce mucus in our sinuses? Well, it's not when we're feeling super well. It's normally when we have something like seasonal allergies or a cold or a flu or sinus infection or something like that. It's the body responding to something and it's saying, ah, I'm not happy and this is one of my, uh, this is one of my protective mechanisms. So it tells me that there still is something there that's irritating the intestine that is causing the body to use its defenses and then it's creating some of this mucus. So I definitely would do things like a stool test um, to make sure that there are no pathogens or doing things like a food allergy panel to see are there still foods even within your healthy SCD diet or SCD plan <laughs> if, uh, if there still are some things that uh, are irritating your intestine and making it produce this mucus. So I just I don't like to see mucus at all in healthy bowel movements. Good to know. 
that ends the questions. Hmm. I can't wow. made it through them. Oh, we accomplished a lot in this period of time. What what did you start to oh, say? Oh, there was one I think that I saw about constipation. Oh, you're right. It's it's the very last one. Thank you. I'm like, um, you know, it's it's good to talk and this, about and constipation. This, <laughs> this person starts out saying, "Dr. Bowen, thank you for taking questions. I'm not sure why I get constipated so much, but it drives me nuts. Help." Yes. Obviously, everybody, we looked at some of these questions before the show. Thank goodness we did, because I would have missed that one. We were excitedly (laughs) waiting to get these questions. So constipation is something that I see a lot. Normally with IBD, many, many people are talking about diarrhea, loose stool, blood, mucus. But then constipation sometimes can be the consequence of having a healthy bowel, right? You're so used to having nine bowel movements a day that just one a day feels like constipation to you. So what type of constipation are they experiencing? But if it is constipation where um, you're not pooping every day, you might be pooping every couple of days, every few days, when you go to the bathroom, it's hard or it's hard to pass. Um, You know, constipation like that definitely can aggravate hemorrhoids. It can increase bleeding. It can really aggravate fissures. Um, so it's definitely something that we want to help with. So the the recipe for healthy, easy to pass poop for most people is adequate hydration. So making sure that you're drinking plenty of uh, filtered water. Um, the goal could be half of your body weight in ounces per day. And that's not necessarily where most people get as far as hydration goes. But if you keep that as a goal, then you won't be underhydrated. Um, The other thing with hydration is that if you're drinking a lot of caffeinated beverages, I count each of those caffeinated beverages as a negative two water. So if you're having a cup of coffee, that means you're down two cups of water. So it's because it's allowing uh, water to, as a diuretic, it's allowing water to leave faster. And so one, one cup that should have been water and then one cup that's leaving because you had a cup of coffee. So that's my, that's my water math uh, is when Whenever you have a caffeinated beverage, uh, make sure that you're having two cups of water of equal size to make up for it. So water is huge. Hydration is huge. The next piece is oils. So are you somebody who is averse to using oils in your food or can you tolerate some of those oils or healthy fats? If you're able to have healthy fats and oils, then that can help to lubricate the bowel. So I definitely like people to have plenty of healthy fats and oils. If you end up having greasy stool because of it, it means that you're not breaking those fats down and then it's a whole different ball of wax. So other things need to be, other steps need to be taken at that point. And I'm going to just interject greasy stool. You would, would you know that because your poops float? Not just floating, but looking like there's like an oil slick or grease sheen on there. It might have kind of like a just pearly kind of uh, reflective coating on it. Normally you can see something like you can see oil in puddles. It's kind of that same sort of thing. It would have a greasy look to it. And that's probably like fat malabsorption. Your body is not really breaking down and absorbing the fats, but they're just leaving in the stool instead. 
So definitely oils as tolerated. And then also fiber. Fiber can be really tricky for people with IBD because if you're on a low residue diet, it's really hard to get things that are super fibrous. So whenever possible, getting fibers uh, through produce and then if you're able to through beans um, in your diet. And then also through things like root vegetables, any of the root vegetables that are allowed or some of the winter squash, you can also get pretty decent fiber there. So not just fruit and vegetables vegetables. Um, you know, there are so many other causes of chronic constipation, anything from, you know, could there be an obstruction where things are stuck together, not getting through? Could you have surgical scarring in your intestines that is making it difficult for things to get through? A certain type of SIBO called uh, methanogen bloom that can create, so it's also methane dominant SIBO, um, that can create constipation for many people. So it's really important to investigate the cause of constipation. Um, there are some genetic causes of constipation. Uh, Post-infectious IBS can result in constipation. So there, it's, a, it's important to follow and first try all of the dietary things, you know, and then prunes or prune juice or some of those things that have been, you know, age old remedies for constipation. But then if it's still not clearing up, why am I constipated? And then really following it, uh, following that thread all the way to where you get an answer about why. How long can a person safely go if they're experiencing constipation without reaching out to a doctor? You would be surprised. I have been I have been shocked by some of the cases of constipation in my practice and so there have been a f at least a few cases, cases that I can count on one hand where people had gone a month without having a bowel movement. And so those people then were diagnosed with something like obstipation where they then had to go into the ER or into, you know, a, a more of a clinical setting to have somebody alleviate their constipation manually. So manually means... What is that? Manually means using hands. And so using hands or tools or whatever else to help them along their way but that, I mean, this is a poop conversation. We said we were going to have it, right? But um, it can be very, it can go on for a long time without people feeling too uh, terribly, you know, awful from it. Sometimes people will feel horrible if they don't, if they don't poop every single day. They might feel a little sweaty or a little nauseous if they're not going every single day. But in these cases, we just think that it's things like lack of bowel tone or, you know, obstruction that is creating this really severe constipation. But I love to see people pooping at least once a day and having an easy to pass stool that isn't little nuggets or really hard to, hard to um, expel. Live life, laugh, and poop happy. Yes. Easy to pass. <laughs> poop. <laughs> Definitely. That's a happy poop. Oh, happy poop. Happy. That's, a good, that's a good note to end the show on. Yes. Happy poop. I wish you all happy poop. Remind everyone again, if, uh, and I will say what we said in the show that followed this one, Dr. Bowen is available. You can call her and she can consult with you for 10, 15 minutes, whatever you offer. So you can see if she's someone that you might be a good fit for you. And so you can ask additional questions if you want to. It does not have to stop here. You're also going to be speaking at the SCD Rocks Conference in October. Yes, I'm excited about that. Yes, and I will have that in the show notes as well. Is it Saturday, October 17th? Yes. And the, the times 
are on the SCD Association website. Yeah. And that's going to be open to questions and answers, too. Yes. So there's lots of ways that people can follow up now or later in asking you more, should they so desire. How do people get in touch with you if they want to get in touch? Yeah. So through my website, bothellnaturalhealth.com, and it's B-O-T-H-E-L-L. So bothell is spelled that way, naturalhealth.com. And there's a request button for getting the 15-minute meet and greet. The 15-minute meet and greet is a chance for you to be able to meet me and for me to meet you and find out more about your case. And it's like a mutual interview for us to see if we're a good fit for working together. If you're inside of Washington State, then I can practice within my full scope of practice for my naturopathic doctor license. So I can do a lot of testing and a lot of other things if you're inside of Washington State. If you're outside of Washington State, it looks a little bit more like a health coaching arrangement or a little bit more like a nutrition consultation, but I can always do something that's a little bit more um, like a, a second pair of eyes. So like a second opinion, being able to look at all of your records cr critically and being able to tell you what I see and just, you know, educating people a little bit more on what's going on with their health and, you know, have you potentially explored some of these tests or have you ruled out these conditions? So that's what it looks like, more of like a consultancy. But I also really love that because I feel like we can reach people where there aren't naturopathic doctors or there aren't naturopathic doctors who specialize in SCD. So it's, it's really great to have those sort of conversations as well as the, you know, full-on care um, through telemed. We spoke in our previous conversation about how a doctor is working for the patient. Mm -hmm. And so often when a patient goes in to see a doctor, they're feeling like they're reporting to the doctor and the doctor is in charge. Well, the doctor is the expert, but you're the one that's in charge. So someone could call and talk to you if they don't live in Washington State. You can give them a list of things that they might want to bring to their doctor yes. now that they can, being in charge the way that they're supposed to be, mm -hmm. ask, I would like to have this done. I would like to see what's happening there. It gives them a little more to work with. I definitely like to cultivate partnership and just remind people that it's, you know, a, a mutual decision, uh, you know, in going forward. And that the one thing that I would be screening people for in the 15 minute is if somebody doesn't want to make diet or lifestyle changes, then they're probably not the best fit for working with me because those are going to be immediate things that we talk about. And so I do have those patients who are like, nope, I only want to do testing. And it's like, well, that's not ideal. And you could probably go to any naturopathic doctor to do the just testing. But what makes me different is then a lot of the nutritional consultations and hand-holding through the dietary aspects. So that's one thing that I'm looking for in my patients. But I, yeah, I always have an open, uh, open stream of conversation with the patients. And if they want a test done, because I'm not in network with insurance, if they want a test done in Washington State and nobody else is willing to order it for them, I'm always willing. It's like, why should we withhold testing from patients? I, I don't think that, but it's because insurance companies oftentimes dictate uh, what doctors can and cannot do. So it gives me a bit of freedom to order whatever I want or whatever the patients want, especially in Washington. But um, yeah, because I don't have an insurance company telling me what I can or can't do. Excellent. Well, I can definitely see you coming back on the show again and again and again. It's so much fun. I have so much fun, too. You are such an instantly likable person. It's just fun talking to you. 
the feelings are very mutual. I would. I feel as even though it's, I'm sure it's helping a lot of people. I feel very much that I'm doing this just for strictly selfish reasons because I just enjoy talking to you so so much. And I can't wait until we have the chance to do it again. And I certainly am really looking forward to October 17th and hearing what you have to say there. I'll be there. I hope everyone in the SCD community shows up for this because it's free. It's free. That's great. It's free. You know, normally you pay to go and they don't ask you to pay a lot, the SCD Association, but you do pay to go. This time, because it's virtual, they're very, very, very generous in opening it up to everyone. And wow, it's going to be a great day. I'm so excited, and I will look forward to seeing you there. And anytime you want me back, I'm, I'm game. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being here today. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find me, Lee Bernstein, through my website at scdforme.com. Four is F-O-R. There's also links to other social media sites there if you'd like to connect with me on those. If you have questions, comments, suggestions for future shows, or if you have an SCD success story to share, write to me at Bernstein at scdforme.com. A reminder, I am not an SCD expert. Nothing on this show is ever intended as medical advice. Everybody's different. If you have questions about you and your body, always speak to your medical professional. In the meantime, I hope you'll always listen to your gut. I hope you'll stay happy, be well, and always be open to being everything life means for you to be. Take care.